Hey everyone, welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast where we equip Christians to identify the historic beliefs of Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and then proclaim the gospel. The gospel. <laughs> some, you know what? It is a gospel, right? It's a place for sinners to come find healing and wholeness through the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but we're going to discern its counterfeits and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about misconceptions about the pro-life position. So maybe you've heard that pro-life Christians don't really care about women. All they care about is making sure babies get born, uh, but don't get really all that involved with what might happen after that. Or, or perhaps if they don't ascribe to particular political policies surrounding um, orphan care and things like this, if, if they don't ascribe to a particular thing, then they're not really pro-life. Have you been told that as a Christian, that if your ideas don't line up on certain things, then you're not really pro-life? Well, Jenna Cross is my guest today. She's a nurse, sonographer, and executive director of two pregnancy medical clinics in southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, Jenna and her husband, Steve, are the parents of five children and are licensed foster parents. And they're passionate about caring for the most vulnerable and bringing the kingdom of God to a broken and desperate world. So Jenna, so great to have you with me today. I've been really looking forward to this. I told my audience last week, I heard you uh, on the podcast with John Cooper on Cooper Stuff. In fact, I loved that conversation so much that I, I published it to my audio feed last week because I really wanted my audience to hear it. And so before we go any further, just tell us a little bit about yourself and the great work that you do. Thank you so much, Elisa. Thank you for having me. I am such a fan of yours, bordering on super fans. So I'm yes. going to try to contain my super fan uh, status a little bit, but just thank you so much for having me on. Uh, so yeah, my, my husband and I, we are the executive directors of two um, pregnancy medical clinics in our area. And with that role, it's an amazing role. It's a gift to be able to serve women and families in our communities to be able to provide very real needs to be able to be um, friend a friend to them in those moments of listening ear and just to be able to support them in all types of different circumstances we have an amazing staff they're incredible so caring and compassionate and we are just proud of this work and we're grateful to be able to um, both provide real needs and contend for life we contend for unborn life and we also are contending for the lives and eternities of moms who come in we want to point them to christ we want to introduce them to christ and be able to disciple them onto a different path uh, because we know that Christ has rescued each one of us and without him we would be on the same track as a lot of our clients that we see so we feel an incredible amount of compassion and care for the women that we serve we're also working on adding a uh, home for vulnerable moms we're going to be able to provide that very soon and also working on getting prenatal care added to the services that we offer for free to our clients now, you just said for free. Is that right? Did I hear that right? So all your services are free. Yes, all our services are completely free. We are funded by donors who love God and are passionate about helping um, women in these vulnerable situations. It's interesting. I saw a pro-abortion activist on Twitter post yesterday. We have to figure out a way to be able to provide low-income 
ultrasounds to women who want to get abortion pills by mail because we can't let them go into pregnancy resource centers. And I just thought it was so interesting that they're saying we got to figure out a way to provide low cost ultrasounds when across the country there's 2,700 pregnancy resource centers like ours that provide these services for free. And we're able to do that because of people who give their money uh, because they care about this cause. Where on the flip side, um, they're asking that question of how do we do that? Because apparently there aren't people who care in the same type of way. So Mm. that will address probably a big objection that a lot of people will say and hear right off the bat of do Christians care about women? I just want to repeat what you just said, 2,700. See, Jenna is representative of one pregnancy resource center. And yet there are 2,700 of these that are funded by Christians who don't care about what happens after babies are born, right? Sorry, that was a little sarcastic. But it's just, it's such a ridiculous claim that um, to say that Christians who are advocating against abortion, that's all they care about. And so, but we're going to, we're going to get into that. And one thing we want to let you know, too, if you're watching, this is a special episode in that we are live. I saw a couple of you ask in the comments, because sometimes we do our Sunday podcast and they're not live, but today is live. And we want to take your questions live. And one of the things we'd really like to invite you to do is that if you are pro-choice, if you are skeptical about the pro-life position, if you have some ideas about what you think people who advocate for pro-life believe or think, we want to invite you to ask your questions today. Jenna told me, she said, I'm ready. I'm ready to answer hostile questions. I'm ready to answer, you know, some pushback. So whatever you got, we want to invite you to bring some of those questions today. So if you have a question for Jenna, uh, put the word question in the comment box so that we can uh, wade through and find your question amidst all the other comments. But Jenna, we already had a couple comments on Facebook, a good question here. Well, this actually isn't a question, it's more a comment, but it's sort of summed up some of the pushback that we are addressing today. And so this is from Jimmy, and this was a comment left on Facebook. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what Jimmy said here. He said, unless you all support universal prenatal and neonatal care and guarantee paid leave for parents to bond with their newborns, yes, you're really just pro-birth. Simple as that. What do you think about that, Jenna? Right. So I would just ask a follow-up question to Jimmy, and that would be, um, do you give directly into every area that you're against? For example, I'm assuming you're against rape. Are you directly helping rape victims get counseling, ongoing counseling and care that they need? Are you directly doing that? Uh, Domestic violence, I'm assuming you're against that. Are you directly helping the victims of domestic violence uh, with... Uh, support? Are are you against human trafficking? The list goes on. Abortion is the only issue where this argument comes up, that if you are actually pro-life and against abortion, but you're not supporting specific policies, and they're usually leftist policies, then you aren't actually pro-life. And that's not how right and wrong work. Okay, there's a right and there's wrong morally. And as pro-lifers, we believe that human life begins at conception and it is wrong in all cases to kill an innocent life. And therefore abortion is wrong. Now, the things that were brought up, universal um, healthcare, prenatal care, neonatal, 
care, all those things, guaranteed parental leave, those are things that we can discuss from a policy standpoint. However, what we have seen over the last 50 years is that a lot of these um, these programs, these government programs that have been meant to help in situations have actually made things worse. I want to read a quote from, this is Franklin Roosevelt, who is a Democrat president. This is his, from his State of the Union address in 1935. He said this, the lessons of history confirmed by the evidence immediately before me show conclusively that continued dependence upon relief induces a spiritual and moral disintegration fundamentally destructive to the national fiber. To dole out relief in this way is to administer a narcotic, a subtle destroyer of the human spirit. So he saw this, and this is exactly what we've seen with these policies since then. A lot of the clients that we see have had this narcotic over generations now, and it has destroyed their human spirit. Mm. So I believe that the solution to this is not more money that's given out. I believe that the solution to this is to actually help empower moms to be able to break out of this cycle, to be able to get a job, to be able to get the childcare support that's available so that they can go to that job, to be able to work and to feel good about themselves and to know that they are actually able to provide and are not going to need to be dependent on these services forever. That was the initial intention of them. So no, I don't believe that these things actually help. I believe that they crush the human spirit and we've mm. seen that. And so I believe that the right thing is to help to provide assistance. We do provide rent assistance. We do provide help on down payments for an, uh, an apartment, things like that. We provide assistance with transportation, all of those things. But then we want to actually help women and families to be able to look through their finances and figure out how can we actually start setting a budget to work towards uh, being able able to be free from this cycle that you are trapped in of spending money on things that you don't need and then having getting to the end of the month and you need to help pay your rent, those types of things. So mm -hmm. helping people to actually break out of that, I believe that's far more pro-life than getting stuck in these traps of just more and more programs. Yeah. And on that note of the policies that you mentioned, somebody else left a comment on Facebook here. This is Christina. She said, I appreciate your time in organizing this interview, but even within the pro-life community, there is a major divide over the response to crisis pregnancies, health risks to mom versus the babies. This issue is paradoxical, not finite, and ultimately None of it should be legislated on by men, but left in the hands of doctors, women, and their families and clergy. I'm curious if you agree with that, Jenna, or how you might respond to that comment. Yeah, that's an interesting comment. I, I find that it shouldn't be legislated by men comment interesting since the uh, court that decided Roe was entirely men. So if that's yeah. the case, then um, we definitely shouldn't be upholding that in the first place. Uh, but also, the role of the government is to protect innocent life. That is the role of government. So uh, government should be protecting its citizens and that includes its citizens in the womb. Science has proven that life begins at conception. 
And therefore, it is absolutely the role of the government to protect citizens from that point. It is not up to um, the mother because she is making a decision about a, a different human life when it comes to her unborn child. It is not up to the doctor because that is dependent on which doctor that you are talking to. You will find uh, OBGYNs who are pro-abortion who will make all kinds of comments about how if we just understood their practice and saw what they see in their practice, then we would support abortion. But you can find just as many pro-life OBGYNs who will say conclusively, there is absolutely no need for abortion. There is always a solution that's better than abortion. In fact, if a woman's pregnancy needs to end for the sake of her health, it's always going to be faster and safer for the mother to do an emergency C-section. That can be done in about 30 minutes, whereas an abortion in the second or third trimester is a two to four day process. Mm. And so if the, there's an urgent need for the woman to not be pregnant anymore, then delivering that baby and providing uh, compassionate care to that baby, just like anyone else would deserve in healthcare, is the right thing to do. And it gives the best chance to the baby and the mother. So no, abortion um, is not needed in those cases. When uh, you think about some of the policies that you, when people come at you and they say, well, you're pro-life, you, but you, you know, vote this way, X, Y, Z, what are, what, if you could just give us one example, what's one example of a policy that people on the left or the pro-choice, pro-abortion crowd is saying, look, it's more pro-life to vote this way, and this is where you guys are missing it, but maybe where you actually think it's the opposite and to really be pro-life it's it's you're, you're going to have to go the opposite way of that. And you mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, how um, helping people to get jobs and budgets and, and get up and out of poverty. Um, but are you against welfare? Or, you know, how would you comment on some of that? Yeah, I would say that one big one that happened during the, the war on poverty in the 60s, it basically gave a benefit to single mothers. So it, it basically gave more money if a woman was not married with children than married with children. And that has had a huge, huge mm. devastating impact on whether couples get married or not. Um, and so that would be one that I would say, we have got to look at that and we've got to change that because we should not be punishing marriage um, mm. and giving more. The, the problem is that more is given if it's a single mother. And I understand that there can be good reasons for that. However, we have seen it having a have a devastating effect on the nuclear family. And that has trickled out into the massive moral decline that we've seen. And now we have people reeling. We've got these, you know, violent, horrific acts and people are saying, you know, what, well, what can we do about this? And blaming it on an inanimate object rather than actually, uh, well, let's look at the moral decline of our society and tie that directly to the breakdown of the family and absent fathers. I mean, that is the common denominator that, that should unite all of these causes is absent fathers is a huge problem and we have to address it. So we have to look at how the policies specifically have encouraged that fatherlessness and we've got to reverse that and change course. How many times have you seen uh, in your experience maybe a woman going in for an abortion and somehow uh, they, they come into where you are and you, do, you provide a sonogram and that changes their mind? How often do you see something like that happen? And how do clients get referred to you? How do they find you? 
Yeah, great question. So we work with an organization called Human Coalition. They're based out of Texas and they work with pregnancy resource centers all across the country. And they are very good at um, providing ads so that when a woman is searching for uh, abortion services, then our ad is one that pops to the top and they uh, call the call center and the call center agent always provides a disclaimer that we don't provide a refer for abortions. We never lie to women to get them to mm. come into our doors, uh, but they let them know the services that we do provide. And um, they often will book an appointment and come in with us. And so we see many women who are planning to abort. Uh, and it is about 40% of the time that they change their mind and choose life when they come to us. Um, some of those numbers, well, we don't always know the outcome at times. So we suspect it's a bit higher that it's closer to 50%, but that we know of about 40%. So we try to keep in touch with these moms. We try to get them back in to be able to help them with their very real needs. We have a social worker on our staff who's able to help with those needs. And we want to come alongside them. A lot of these women are isolated. They don't have a lot of help and care in their lives. They're overwhelmed and we want to be able to help with that. But the process, yeah, looks like they're kind of in crisis. They see your ad and they come in and we're able to provide care for them rather than at an abortion clinic where they're just going to go in and be sold an abortion and be told, yep, your life is hard. Then the best solution is an abortion. A lot of times our clients, if they've had a previous abortion and we're asking them, getting going through their health history and asking them about depression, anxiety, uh, all of these types of questions they'll be able to identify that over the last X number of years, they've struggled with anxiety and depression. And then we ask when their abortion was and it, there's a mm. major correlation and they'll even talk about, Oh yeah, the last one, it was really hard, but I'm mentally prepared for it now. Uh, this time it won't be as big of a deal. Now I've been through it one time, uh, but we see the actual suffering that comes to women as a result mm. of these decisions, but they're just so trapped in this thinking and these lies that this is what's going to help and your life is hard. So you should just do this. And abortion, it's a really unique betrayal mm. because yes, we always believe that murder is wrong or taking an innocent life is wrong. But in the case of a mother, a mother's role is to protect her child at all costs. I would lay down my life for any one of my kids at any time, no question. And that is the role of a mother. And so for a mother to seek out someone to kill her child, it's a unique betrayal. And mothers know, mothers know. And there is suffering that you see, or there's kind of the flip side of that where the anger intensifies. We see that with a lot of pro-abortion activists. They are they promise and they yell and they shout that they don't regret their abortion, that their abortion was actually the right thing to do. But mm. we all know that sometimes the screaming and shouting is covering over that reality of pain, of knowing, wow, I could have a child at this age right now. And instead, I guess I, I had my career. So I'm going to shout louder about how great my career has been to try to mask over the pain. Mm. Uh, but the reality is that mothers protect their children. They should protect their children. They should never seek to destroy their own child. And so we actually, in the pro-life movement, want to help mothers to not have to suffer in this extreme mm. way that they do suffer as a result of these decisions, whether they'll admit it or not.
If you're just joining us, we're talking with Jenna Cross, who's the executive director of two pregnancy resource centers. She represents uh, multiple, I think she said something like 27 or 2,400 pregnancy resource centers across the country that do just the same type of work that she does at the two that she runs. We're inviting you to ask your questions today. If you have a question for Jenna and you're watching on YouTube, you can put the word question in all caps in the comment box, and that way we'll be able to find your question. We're inviting skeptics and people who are hostile to the pro-life view, please ask your questions. If you are pro-choice or you are very skeptical of the pro-life position, please ask your questions. Give Jenna the, uh, the opportunity to respond to some of the observations that you've made about the pro-life community. Uh, Jenna, we've got a couple questions here for you. And the, the first one here says, what is the hardest pro-abortion objection to answer? That's a great question. I would say from a starting place as pro-life people, or if you're just trying to decide where you land, there are not pro-abortion objections that can really stand up against scrutiny. Uh, what will happen when you challenge a pro-abortion argument is they'll quickly try to change the subject and or just say my body my choice over and over again, but will be really hesitant to actually engage with your arguments. And that's because it is so clear, actually, this is so um, it, sh it should be obvious, because it is a human life. And we should protect human life, we should be against the killing of innocent life. But it's, we get confused, because society is so loud about it. And so we start to feel like it's a lot more complex than it is. And you see this across Christianity. I mean, I've been really blown away by the number of Christians who I've seen saying, oh, it's complicated, it's nuanced, abortion mm -hmm. is nuanced. And it's not, but we need the wisdom that comes from God and not the wisdom of the world. When we start to say things like abortion is compl complicated, um, we are definitely making a political statement. We're definitely, uh, we're showing that we have been impacted and influenced in our views by society and not by the word of God. And so that's where we need to actually start when we're looking at uh, engaging with any argument is this actually is quite simple. And so I'm going to seek the wisdom that comes from God because he says, if anyone lack, lacks wisdom, he can ask and God will give it to us. Mm -hmm. And then we're actually able to engage with that argument. I think one that trips people up a lot is just the argument about when is it okay to do abortions? Maybe it's okay earlier on, but not later. That one um, can get people tangled up a bit because there is a reality that the later uh, an abortion is, we just see the reality of life a lot more, you know, the, um, so it, we feel it more, mm -hmm. but that doesn't determine value. And to put um, whether or not some a baby is viable as the point when we'd be okay with it, that's very arbitrary because viability has changed as technology has advanced. So that's not a point that can hold up to scrutiny because it varies when a child is viable. So is it okay to abort them at 22 weeks, six days, but not at 23 weeks? zero days. I mean, that's very arbitrary. Mm -hmm. uh, also, my view of whether or not someone is 
valuable. Uh, my feelings on that don't impact actual value. Going back to the example of my children, I would um, save my child if I had to choose before I would save a different child. Okay, that's, but that doesn't mean that someone else's child is less valuable than my, chi mm -hmm. my children. It's just my feelings that are impacting that decision. So my feelings on a matter aren't what determines value. Just because we feel like a baby that's a little bit more advanced, oh yeah, abortion would be bad in that case. But earlier on, the baby's small, so I think it's fine. Uh, that is not a, that's a, that's wisdom that comes from the world. It's mm -hmm. not uh, biblical. Wisdom. Yeah. With, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, as sophisticated with my pro-life apologetics as you are. And as my friend Scott Klusendorf is, but what I always think about is whenever somebody brings um, a statement or some sort of a caveat to say, well, in this case, abortion would be okay or this or that. What I always think about is just apply exactly whatever that is to a five-year-old. If it would apply to a, if it would be the same with a five-year-old, then it would be for a, a baby in the womb at any stage. Um, you know, that's when it changes the conversation, doesn't it? And and it just it goes to show that even a lot of people I think that are pro-life um, who have that sort of well, it's complicated kind of view, they're not really seeing the unborn baby as a human life. Because if you applied everything that, that they're just saying to a five-year-old, it would be horrific what they're, what they're proposing somebody do. So, um, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of simple for me, but I wanted to put this uh, comment up on the screen here because I thought this was very interesting. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this too, because obviously with the work that you do, um, there is uh, this organization called Planned Parenthood, and um, you do very different things than Planned Parenthood does, but uh, this comment is from Natalie. She said, I was pregnant in college and called Planned Parenthood because I always heard they are for women. They refused to assist me because I didn't want an abortion. And so I wonder if you want to comment on the differences between what, like, not crisis uh, pregnancy centers, they don't call them that anymore, a pregnancy resource center, What's the difference between what they do and what Planned Parenthood does? Absolutely. So Planned Parenthood is in the business of performing abortions. That is their business. So, and it's a moneymaker for them. If you don't believe that it's a moneymaker for them, just ask yourself why they are so upset about the potential of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Uh, it is the heartbeat of their organization. And their goal is to see women back for multiple abortions. Mm. So the v difference between what they do and what we do is that we will actually help with the problems that the woman is facing. So if you go into Planned Parenthood and say, I'm late on my rent and my boyfriend hits me sometimes, they are not going to do anything for you. You mm -hmm. know, they might say, I'm sorry, honey, are, did you want an abortion? Or what are you, what, what are you asking me this for? We, th they are not going to care about those situations. We care about those situations. And we will get deeply involved in that to make sure that the woman is safe, make sure that she has options, make sure that she gets the help that she needs. Uh, also, Planned Parenthood does not provide prenatal care. So if you are wanting uh, actual care for your pregnancy, they are not going to provide that. They'll provide an ultrasound if you're getting an abortion to date that pregnancy, but that's all. And not all pregnancy resource centers provide that. Uh, some do, 
However, we help to refer for prenatal care. So something that women experience is that it's really overwhelming to know who to call or know how to get that connected, know, make sure that they have the right coverage uh, to be able to do that. And so we help with those things, make sure that they have their insurance coverage and call with them to get their prenatal care set up so that we know that they're going to be getting the, the care that they need. So very, very different things. Also, because all of our services are provided for free, we don't have that conflict of interest that we are just trying to sell something to them. Uh, we are wanting to speak the truth to them. Absolutely. So we want to empower them to choose life. We're going to give them the truth about the abortion procedures and about the life that's living in their womb. For sure we are, uh, but we do not have that ulterior motive of wanting to make a sale. We just want to help. We care about that life. Yeah, that's great. And this would be a good time for me to mention, I've put this in the comments, but if you want to find out more, if you want to donate or find out how you can get involved with this, you can go to AllianceFamily.Services. Is that right, Jenna? AllianceFamily.Services. Right. Find out more. You can donate. Um, you know, I, I think... It's demonstrably false that Christians who are pro-life don't care what happens after the baby is born. Uh, people have been posting pictures of pregnancy resource centers and the the free um, clothes, diapers, wipes, all the stuff that is provided from Christians who are pro-life, who do care and have donated those things. And if you want to be one of those people, go to alliancefamily.services. Jen, I've got a question here from Vanessa. How do you argue for pro-life when others won't acknowledge that little uh, in the womb baby is life? Uh, I think she means that the little baby in the womb is, is a life. Yeah, that's a great question. So I would just say that science is very clear on this. You could ask, why do you hate science? You know, that's something that we've been getting asked. That's <laughs> kind of an attack on um, usually people on the right. But the reality is science is extremely clear on this. Uh, there is a paper on Princeton that has a whole list of embryologists with comments about when life begins. I'm just going to read one of them for you. This was in an embryology textbook. Okay. Although life is a continuous process, fertilization is a critical landmark because under ordinary circumstances, a new genetically distinct human organism is thereby formed. The combination of 23 chromosomes present in each pronucleus results in 46 chromosomes in the zygote. Thus, the diploid number is restored and the embryonic genome is formed. The embryo now exists as a genetic unity. And interestingly, in this textbook, it lists pre-embryo among discarded and replaced terms in modern embryology meaning that formerly it was suspected that life wasn't present in an embryo and that is was outdated and removed in this embryology textbook. So it, evidence is conclusive. There is no other time that would be a definitive time for when life would begin. Uh, there is nothing magical that happens along the spectrum of life except the normal development of life uh, and that starts at conception. So it's conception that starts that cascade of events of development that will continue on unless it's interrupted by something. Um, so conception is the point. And if someone is saying, 
that the the life in the womb isn't a life i would just ask them what what is it then what is in what is in the womb is that the mother's two has two hearts now that are beating the mother has four arms and four legs now what is it in the womb uh, if it's not life and just ask questions about their perspective. Sometimes that's the most effective thing that you can do is tell me, tell me more about that. What it, wh why are you saying that the life in the womb isn't human life? Um, what is it? And mm -hmm. just continue to ask why and dig deeper. That's good. So if you're just joining us, we're taking questions live. My guest is Jenna Cross, who is the director of two pregnancy resource centers. And we are actually going to give precedent and favor to skeptical questions. So if you are pro-choice, you're skeptical of the pro-life view, we're going to look for your questions and answer your questions first. And I finally, I've got one here. So thank you so much, Thomas, for, for, joining, for joining us and asking your question. And his question is this, since you both believe in life at conception, why is there so little concern? about the fertilized eggs which fail to become blastocysts would they not be of equal value to a born baby thanks thomas so i think maybe if i'm understanding your uh, question correctly maybe you are referring to ivf or um i, I guess maybe if you he could provide a little bit more clarity that would be helpful but with that i would just say as pro-life people we believe that all human life at conception is unique human life and we would protect it as such um, so we would be against uh, we would be against testing, uh, embryonic testing. We would be against the destruction of human embryos and absolutely see them as valuable. They're uniquely distinct. They have their own DNA. And that is, that is consistent with the pro-life position, and it's how pro-lifers would see it. And there's actually been an increase that I've, I've seen of people adopting embryos. Mm -hmm that yes. had been frozen. I met a woman at a, a conference I was speaking at and she had this adorable little baby. And she said, we adopted this, this embryo out of, uh, that had been frozen. And so there are pro-lifers who are, are going that route. And, uh, you know, it, it, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that's something that's, that's gaining a lot of traction as well. But yeah, Thomas, if you want to provide a little more clarity about exactly what you're talking about when you say a fertilized egg, which fails to become a blastocyst, are you talking about inside the woman's body um, uh, that's naturally, you know, like miscarried or not totally sure what he's asking as well. Um, Esmar is asking, is there anything we can take as good criticism from people who might say, hey, pro-lifers only care about birth or they're just pro-birth? I think it's always great to think, yeah, I want to actually care about these situations, not just shout about the cause. You know, I, I think if you're feeling prompted that way of, oh, I want to take this criticism to heart that I do actually need to care about the mother, then that's great. That's what my husband and I have done. And uh, we have decided we have been pro-life, very staunchly pro-life for a long time, but we have stepped into this role because we want to care about the women and the families. And so if that's how you're being prompted, fantastic. However, don't let that be something that keeps you quiet about you're about being pro-life because it's right to defend the unborn child and whether or not you're actively engaged in the work 
doesn't have any bearing on whether you can speak up on their behalf or not. I, uh, it would be the same as human trafficking or any other issue like that. You could be absolutely against it as a moral wrong without being actively involved in it. And you should speak out against it. It's right at the minimum, uh, whether or not you're actively involved or not speaking on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves is a biblical good is what we should be doing is being a voice for those that don't have a voice and defending those who can't defend themselves. And that's what we're doing when we're speaking up on behalf of the unborn. If you have a question for us, put the word question in all caps in the comment box, and we will get to as many of these as we can. And we are favoring and putting at the top of the list any skeptical questions from pro-choice or people who are skeptical of pro-life. But until I find any more of those, I've got one here from Brando. uh, Brando. And Brando's asking, do they do any work? I assume he means you and your Pregnancy Resource Center. Do you do any work in prevention, as in teaching about the biblical traditional family, as opposed to just dealing with the effects? Or is your industry just centered on after-the-fact issues? That's a great question. So in the moment when a mom is actually considering whether she's going to abort or not, we are pretty focused on that. We want to be able to be right in with her on that issue. Uh, But our goal, our long-term goal is to develop a relationship with this woman. We want to see her turning to Christ. We let her know we can help you with your financial challenges that you're facing. We can help you um, with this work situation that you're facing. But the only hope of actually seeing true change in your life is Jesus Christ and submitting your life to him, turning to him uh, is the best thing that you can do. So we look for opportunities to share that either by sharing our own stories from our own testimonies or um, just sharing direct truth if we're prompted to do that. But we do that over uh, the course of a relationship that we're developing with the woman. So a lot of times in that first visit, we are going to be focused on that life decision um, issue and we'll do more as we have opportunity over time. All right, we have a question here from Melanie. How do we deal with the fathers who don't want their girlfriend or wife to have a baby or another baby and they they want the abortion when she doesn't? Do Do you run into that in your resource center? We do. So that can be a huge factor for women is that they're experiencing pressure to abort. We had a woman, it was a very sad situation, who uh, she just really loved her boyfriend. And even though she wanted this baby, she chose to abort because he was going to basically be driving her there. And the sad reality is that in relationships like that, it's very unlikely that that relationship will be successful long term. So the mom is most likely going to lose that relationship anyway. And now she's also chosen to abort her child and have to deal with that, the long-term ramifications of that. So that's something that we want to identify. If a father comes with the, the mom to an appointment, we have him wait in the waiting area so that we can talk with the mom herself and just get information about what exactly is going on. We ask if she's safe, um, other questions that would help us to discern if there was any type of domestic violence or trafficking going on. Um, So we find that out first. And then if we find out that the 
person that's accompanied her is a supportive person in her life and she does want him to be in there as part of the ultrasound, then with her permission, we'll bring him in um, during that ultrasound. Um, but we try to discern those things first. Interestingly, in most cases, when a father is pressuring to abort, a lot of times they won't come with to the appointment. Mm. A lot of times if the father does come with, it's a situation where he is supportive. And actually many times he would like her to keep the baby. We've found this very surprising that many times these fathers want to have their baby, but they're kind of demoralized by society. They're like just basically saying, well, it's her decision. I don't have much say in it. I would like to keep the baby, but it's her decision. And so in those cases, we're actually able to encourage him that what she needs to hear from him is, this is our baby. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to take care of this baby and fight, fight for your child. This is your child uh, and your child's alive right now. So don't shrink back, fight. But this is the uh, detriment that we see with this society of feminism over time is just the demoralization of men and masculinity. And mm. it's, it's what we really need to continue to address and seek to change because it's, it's so bad for families and it's resulting in more women just kind of taking these decisions into their own hands and moving it forward. Mm. If you want to know more, you want to donate, help out, go to AllianceFamily.Services. Jenna, you, you were mentioning how when a woman would come in with a male, you're kind of assessing is there domestic violence, is there trafficking. This is a very, very different approach than Planned Parenthood takes. Isn't that right? I mean, I remember seeing uh, some of that undercover footage. Uh, tell us about some of that. Like the, Again, the differences between what you do in a situation like that and what has it been proven via video what Planned Parenthood tends to do. Absolutely. The uh, video, the undercover video footage is so horrible. Uh, you can go and watch it. It's a trafficker with a couple of prostitutes posing this way in Planned Parenthood, and they're with a manager of a Planned Parenthood. And they're asking all kinds of questions like, if if um, I come in, or there's a girl, 14, 15 years old, and she kind of says, well, if they're 14, we have to report, but if they're 15 you know, then we've got a little more flexibility. So if she, they can just say they're 15, then that'll be good. And it goes on where he's asking her specifically, well, how long would they have to wait for sexual activity after having an abortion? And she says two weeks and he says, well, is there anything else they can do in the meantime? And she gives him ideas. I mean, it is disgusting, but this is the reality of this world. Uh, people think that Planned Parenthood is helping and it is not they are sweeping these things under the rug women have told stories about being in trafficking situations or domestic violence situations incest situations where they go into the planned parenthoods and it's not reported they're not helped and that makes them feel completely worthless because if there were people who are supposed to help and care for them and they didn't then what does that say about my value? It just says, well, I'm not valuable. I already believed that. And now I believe it even more. But the interesting thing, Lisa, is that now the push is going to be abortion pills by mail. And mm. with that, that is even worse for situations of abuse and trafficking, because now these men are able to just order abortion pills 
for women online. And it's incredibly risky for the health of the mother uh, because if she has an ectopic pregnancy and takes abortion pills, it's a very dangerous thing. She's very high mm. risk of severe complications or death in that instance. Also, with if, if you have an RH negative blood type and you take uh, abortion pills, you need a medication called Rogam that actually prevents you from developing antibodies to future babies that you would have. You wouldn't have this. You wouldn't know that you have this negative blood type, most likely, if you're taking abortion pills by mail. So what it's doing is actually sterilizing 15% of the population mm. who does this that's RH negative because she won't know that she needs a medication uh, right after an abortion to be able to ha help her to have future children safely and she won't find this out until she wants to have a baby in the future and finds out that her body is rejecting that baby and and just kind of continually miscarrying um so this is the push and it's so obvious with this that the pro-abortion movement does not care about women they mm. know these things and it has been democrat administrations that have pushed uh, abortion pills through and now more recently pushed abortion pills by mail through. It was something that came up in COVID that this would be um, allowed to send them by mail. And now uh, last December, the FDA just said, okay, now for good, we'll be able to send them out by mail. Uh, so this is the abortion industry. It hates women mm. and it's coming more and more obvious. They're showing their hands. And so we need to be very strongly saying if they care about women so much, why are they doing these incredibly dangerous things? And back to you know the initial question, it allows men to force women in the privacy of their own home to take these mm. pills, whether or not they want them to. Now they're not even going to be able to have a chance seeing a provider that could help them because they're just being forced to take them. And um, that's good for abusers because the less you have to take your victims out, the better. Mm. Mm. Okay, question from Ryan. Is, mis is miscarriage God-designed abortion? So this is an excellent question. And the answer is the God of the universe gives and takes life. And he is, he is the giver of life. And he is the one who decides how long our lives will last. My days are numbered by God. I will not live any more days than God has ordained, and I will not live any less days than God has ordained. Um, so he, he decides. We are not gods. So we do not get to take this into our own hands and decide, well, I don't want to be pregnant. So God sometimes causes miscarriages. So I'm going to go ahead and abort my baby. That's playing God, and you will answer to God mm. for that someday. Miscarriage is a tragedy. I've experienced it myself, and we grieve. This is a great example of knowing. We all know that this is life. And if you've experienced a miscarriage or you know someone who has, you know that because we grieve deeply for the loss of life. Uh, and so... No, miscarriage and abortion are not the same things. When we are looking at um, laws surrounding restriction of abortions, there are tons of scare tactics saying that women who are having miscarriages will be prosecuted. That is absolutely not true. It is it is at, uh, crazy, this type of dialogue. Okay, don't believe the memes that you see or the scare tactics that you see. Women will get treatment for miscarriages. It's very easy to see actually when someone is miscarrying and they don't have a developing baby um, and need treatment and 
when it is being intentionally a, a life that's being destroyed. Well, and and to me, to say abortion would be akin to God designed, uh, or I'm sorry, miscarriage would be akin to God designed abortion would be the same to thing to say that you know um, people die, therefore it's okay to commit murder. That's right. it. Just does not logically follow to to it's really equivocation on the word. Um, mm-hmm. It's like when you use one word kind of with two different meanings in the same context. And it creates confusion about what's being um, said. It's sort of like, you know, people will say, well, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill. Well, actually, it's the King James that translates that word into kill. Um, the word is actually murder. And so we, we don't have the right to play God and take the lives of other people. But God, as you said, he gives life. He takes, essentially, God takes us all out. At some point, everybody is going to die, but that doesn't give us the right to say we get to decide when that happens for other people so we can take a life because everybody dies. It just doesn't logically follow. Uh, But that was a great answer. Uh, Abby wants to know, how can Christian mothers talk with their daughters about abortion? I know women who are scared to talk to their mothers because of the abortions they committed. The mothers do not know. That's a great question. So our nurse manager has had an abortion and because of that, she's able to share with our clients her story. And so I would just say she she told her children when they were age appropriately ready to hear that. And it would be the same as anything that we would tell our children. A lot of us have a past that we are not proud of before we were following Christ. And the way that we talk about that is sharing in an age appropriate manner and talking about the rescue of God and how he has brought healing and wholeness to that situation. Uh, A lot of times keeping that secret, it just makes it feel continually dark and getting it out into the light uh, in an appropriate way, being able to share it with someone and um, definitely at the right time with your children, it, it will be so powerful to them to know I can actually learn this lesson from my mother. My mother experienced this and she suffered years of pain as a result of it. So this is not something that I want to do. I mean, God can absolutely, and he does use those things for his glory. And so uh, we don't need to hide away from those things. Uh, This is a time um, definitely to be talking about it. My children are fairly young. They know what abortion is uh, and they are adamantly pro-life because children just understand uh, babies are precious and we need to protect babies. And and so there is just a natural understanding that children have and an abhorrence that children have when they hear about um, this. And so I would just say at the right time, prompted by the Lord, Uh, to share that. It's good. Uh, Blondie uh, 89 has a question. By the way, if you're joining us and we're going to take questions for a few more minutes here, if you have a question, put the word question in all caps in the comment box. We'll try to get to as many as we can. Blondie here is saying, uh, have you heard of baby boxes at fire stations? What do you think about them? That's a great question. So baby boxes are something that if um, a mom has just had a baby and 
realizes she can't care for her child, that she's able to take that baby and um, with no consequences to her, um, that baby will be relinquished and an adoptive family will adopt the baby. Now, I believe that the best scenario for every child is to be raised by their biological parents whenever possible. And so we want to support that. However, adoption is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Uh, Christians adopt children at a much higher rate than society as a whole. And there are 2 million families waiting to adopt an infant. So the idea that children, um, abortion is not available, that babies are just going to be going into the foster system is not the case. There are waiting families ready to adopt these babies to provide a loving home to them. And so baby boxes would be one example of that. All right. Um, Max is asking, could you please clarify the definitions of conception and fertilization? I think Stedman's medical dictionary changed the definitions in recent years. Are you aware of that change, Jenna? I'm not I'm not myself up on all this as as much as maybe you are. No, fertilization and conception would be the same, same thing, Okay. as far as I'm aware. Okay. Um, Only by Grace is asking, any advice for a married couple who don't want kids? They believe kids are a great blessing, but know themselves enough to know they can't handle the hard work and responsibility. Right. So I would say if you are married, you would need to recognize that there is at least the possibility of children coming into that picture and finding some level of acceptance that if God would so choose to provide us with a child, um, you get pregnant, then we would respond with caring for that child. Now, I believe that these decisions, uh, they're between the married couple to decide. That's within the domain of the family to be able to decide that. But we've just found that children are such a blessing and God is great and kind in how he progressively helps us to be in a place to parents. I was definitely very self-centered and selfish when we had our first child and there's just a rooting out of that that happens through parenting. That's a really beautiful thing. Same as marriage. Uh, there's challenges that you face when you have this other person in your life who is seeing uh, all sides of you. And so there's a refining, a great refining that comes with that. But along with the challenges of parenting, it is also the absolute best job. Our children are such a joy and there is just nothing that we, uh, value more than investing into them and raising warriors for the kingdom of God. Amen. So as we come to a close here today, Jenna, I'm just curious to know a little bit of your story. How did you get into doing this work? I mean, was this something you dreamt of as a child? Give us a little back. I should have asked you this at the beginning, but give us a, a little background on your story. This is not something I would have dreamt of as a child. However, I grew up uh, with amazing Christian parents, godly parents who taught me well. And when I was in high school, there was a time where I um, wandered from the Lord. I um, kind of went my own way. And even though I was very strongly pro-life in that time uh, and would even write papers on it, give speeches on it, it was something that I was always passionate about, um, there was a time in my life where I suspected I might be pregnant. And the first thing that popped into my mind was I need to have an abortion because mm. I don't want my parents to know. And it was 
in that moment, I think that God, well, God drew me to him with that. I went onto my face and repented uh, and returned to him, to my first love. And my life changed dramatically from that moment. Um, but I remembered that feeling. Um, I remember that feeling. And um, it was a lot later, you know, that I um, started to think, think through, man, um, women in those situations who are wondering, oh, I might be pregnant, what would I do? Um, it's easy to go to the easy option. And that's why I want to be able to stand in the gap for those women and to be a voice saying, no, you, you don't need to choose that. You can do this. Um, my friend who did have an abortion, um, she was pressured. And she says, if there would have been someone there saying, you can do it, you can choose life, she would have. And so we wanna be able to be that. So um, for the last several years, my husband and I have been involved in a business that God has blessed. And during COVID, that business kind of shifted considerably and we weren't traveling near as much. And so it opened up more opportunity for us to be able to serve in this way. I was serving on the board at our pregnancy resource center and there was a need for an executive director. And so we just felt like, oh, this is the time God has opened up uh, went, uh, more time for us. We are both passionate about this. Let's do this together. Let's share this. And uh, so that's how we, we found ourselves here. And it's just been such joy following the Lord is just the best. Uh, we awesome. never, never know what he has. And yeah. it's always it's always good, though. Well, you, I, I love your voice. I'm glad you're speaking truth and clarity into a very confused culture. I want to close out this episode with giving you the opportunity to speak directly to women who have had abortions. Uh, I imagine that there are women watching this and they are overwhelmed with uh, a sense of shame, overwhelmed with a sense of grief and um, confusion, and they've got so much pain and uh, things that they're healing from. And then on the other hand, there may be a woman who is sort of hardened her heart and said, no, I'm, I'm good with my decision. It's, it was a great decision for myself. And how might you speak to both of those women who are most likely watching right now? Yeah. So to the women who have had an abortion, I just want to say there is forgiveness for you. It's in Christ and his mercy is incredible. The grace that he extends to you when you turn to him and repent is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, now, the circumstances in your life when you turn to Christ won't necessarily change, uh, but how you are able to see and engage with it, the strength that he gives you to meet the challenges is absolutely incredible. And so I would just say, if you are a Christian and you're still struggling with guilt and shame, don't talk with someone. If you have repented, then he has paid for that. It is done. And you need to be able to leave that behind you and walk tall and move forward. And yes, you're always going to have that sadness, but there is a strength that comes from recognizing I am forgiven and set free that Christ wants to do in you as you release it. And if you are not a Christian and you are struggling with that, turn to him, turn to Christ, 
look up churches in your area and go and ask how you can give your life to Christ. Talk to, talk with someone. You don't even need to talk to someone. You can do it just in your own heart before him. Um, but to someone who is feeling like, yeah, I'm good with my decision. I don't really care what she says. And she doesn't know me. I would just say, um, search and search that, evaluate that feeling. Um, are you actually, or are there thoughts in your mind of how old your baby would be and what your baby might be like? Was your, was your baby a boy or a girl? All of those kinds of things. Um, give some thought to that if you are brave enough to do that. Um, and if you find that there is some sadness in you, then go and talk with someone. Come into a pregnancy resource center. Um, you can search them. They're all over the country um, or a church and talk with someone about that and start to get some help. That's good. Well, I want to thank my guest, Jenna Cross. She's the uh, director of two uh, pregnancy Resource Center. She represents uh, thousands of similar uh, ministries and organizations all across the country who are doing amazing work to advocate for women, to advocate for the unborn, to provide resources and help to uh, women in whatever scenario they may find themselves as it relates to this. If you want to donate, if you want to find out more information, you want to help provide some of those resources, go to AllianceFamily.Services. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you're listening on audio platforms, it always helps us if you go over and leave a five-star review. If you are watching on YouTube, I should have said this at the beginning, but hit subscribe because we have some amazing conversations coming up for you. Next week, we're going to be talking with Kristen Davis from Southern Evangelical Seminary about the Old Testament. I've done several episodes on the New Testament and the reliability of that, but haven't really talked a bit about the Old Testament. So it's a whole episode dedicated to the Old Testament. And uh, so tune in for that. Make sure you click the bell icon because that's going to let you know every time we release a new video, it sets up your notifications. So be sure and do that. And thank you so much for listening and for watching today, and we'll see you next time.